That is good. And it's not just good because they sing it and play it well. It's good because what greater, what greater prayer for our life than that we trust Him with our heart wide open. You will never live more radical than that. Speaking of radical, I just want to um, give a little push one more time. Um, there are some books available for you today. Uh, a bunch of them went out last week. We're, we're encouraging you, if you didn't get one, to feel free to step outside the, it's the table on your way out. Uh, you'll be able to get a book. They're, they're five bucks, which they cost more than five bucks, but we just want to make them available to you. This is sort of the setup for what we're going to be doing in Life Teams starting the first week of October, which is the same title, uh, a Bible study called Radical. It'll have a workbook that'll go with it too. We'll, we'll introduce that in another week or so. We'll make those available. Those will be about 10 bucks, um, which doesn't cover the cost of the book, but again, just wanting to make them available to you. Uh, the way I said it last week, and I, I don't have a problem with this at all, for $15, you're going to be getting some Bible study material that's going to carry you for the rest of 2018. That's really, the, the whole study is going to be for the rest of this year. And so, I, I encourage you to, uh, to take a look at that. It, it's a good read. It really is. And for five bucks uh, to get a good read, I think it's worth uh, you beginning to explore. So, thanks for being here today. It's good to see you. We're going to dig in to actually week five of a little series we've been in called Think Small. It's a series that challenges you to some extraordinary outcomes in your life, but to recognize that those extraordinary outcomes are typically accomplished through consistent daily actions. They are accomplished through small things that are done repetitively. So here's what I want to talk to you about today. Children need instruction, don't they? They do. Color on the paper, not the wall. Right? It's helpful instruction. Don't put the knife in the outlet. It's like, why do they, why do they always go for the outlet? It's like, and how did they get the knife? right? But, but instruction, and then there's the whole crossing the street thing that just kind of terrifies you as a parent, and you're trying to teach them those principles of how to do that the right way. And it, it, that would be okay if it ended with grade school, but it doesn't end with grade school because then you, are, you find yourself calling them even when they are a little older going, the roads are slick, the roads are slick. I've already seen two cars in the ditch, just, just go slow. All right, it, it, it's, it's slick out there, and don't text when you drive, right? And, and it's a holiday, and so I, I know you're going to be with your friends, but on your way home, you, it's a holiday, which means there are going to be likely some people who should not be behind the wheel of, of a car. They, sh they shouldn't be driving because they probably had a little too much, and, and it's just this ongoing, kids need instruction, and it it just feels like it never stops, and it's not just that, even if you have the luxury of not worrying so much about them making bad decisions, you worry about other people making bad decisions that affects them. So today, I want you to imagine, as we begin, um, a conversation. 
a conversation that happens between a dad and uh, his daughter. She's a couple of months away from um, graduation, and so he invites her to a lunch, which they've done numerous times over the year. Um, they choose a table that's um, in the corner due to the, the nature of uh, the topic of the conversation that, that they need to have. There we go. And so, I really need to sit at this table. He says, hey, I, I can't believe that you're like two months away from graduating. I mean, I, I can't believe that time has passed like this. And so crazy proud of you. Uh, but honestly, I, I, I just, I want us to have a talk today, uh, something that we've never, ever talked about before. You know, there may come this time in your life and I'm saying I, I want you to know that it is likely. You're, you're going to hit this season of your life that, honestly, you just feel plain. You feel plain. And you are going to meet this guy. And in a season of your life when you feel plain, when you meet him, you're not going to feel plain anymore. Honestly, he is going to make you feel attractive. And she says, Dad. And he says, no, listen, listen to what I'm saying. I, there, there, there may be a season in your life that you feel invisible. It's just one of those times where it just feels like, the whole world doesn't even know you're there, but he does not make you feel invisible. When you're with him, you feel seen. There may come this season of your life where it just, it just feels boring. You're just boring, but when you're with him, it is, it is not boring. When you are with him, it is exciting. When you are with him, life feels most alive. It is intoxicating. And she's like, all right, Dad. What's so bad about that? He said, I know it sounds good, but here's, here's the hitch. He's married. Maybe got a couple of kids. Or you're married. Got a couple of kids. At which point she says, Dad, come on. And he goes, no, no, no. I, I, I just want you to listen for a few minutes, because you know, you, you know what our family has experienced, you know what happened with your uncle, and you know how that has affected your cousins, you know it, you, you know how, what their life has been like, and then your, your friends, parents, you, you know that decision that was made, and it's like that relationship just kind of, it's just, it's just kind of dangling by a thread, and then honestly, this week at my work, there was, there was this lady, she's only been married for a couple of years, and now there's another guy from work, and it just feels epidemic. And so I know this is awkward, but, and I know you're not with anybody right now, but I just want to get out in front of this for, for both of us because I love you 
I want to have the best awkward conversation that we can have. The best awkward conversation that we can have. And so I'm asking you, I mean, do you think that's a weird conversation to have? And I guess I'm saying if we're going to talk about how to handle a knife and how to cross the street and icy roads and drunk drivers, then is it really that strange that we should have this conversation? And if it makes you feel a little bit better, I want you to know that there have been some dads who have been having this conversation with their kids for thousands of years. I'm going to show you one that I know about. We've been leaning into the Proverbs in this series called Think Small. And so Proverbs chapter 5 is where I want us to start in in this talk. And here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Listen to me, sons. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Keep a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Sons, listen to me. Now, the question is, are these biological sons or are these like the next generation sons? And my answer would be yes. In fact, I would see it, these are, this is both a, to biological children and this is to the next generation of children. The context of the advice that's being given here, the wisdom that's being passed along is, is you have apparently at this point some, some young men who are being t- enticed by a woman whose husband is away. That's the context of the proverb. Enticed by a woman whose husband is away. And so who's going to know? And the advice is, don't go near the door of that house. Don't go near the door. So who is this dad? Well, his name's Solomon. Really wise one. Solomon, at one point, is king of God's people, king of Israel. Do you know who Solomon's dad was? David, as in King David. Do you know who Solomon's mom was? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. And if you don't know the story, um, if you hang around church very long, you'll hear the story. In fact, you're going to hear it in the next few minutes because I'm going to tell you part of the story. But it's one of those stories that I'm convinced God records in Scripture because he wants to make sure we understand that No one is exempt. No one is above the warning of this conversation that a dad just gave to his daughters. Nobody's above the warning of a conversation that this dad just gave to his sons. It was a scandal for David and Bathsheba. You see, 
Solomon's mom and dad hooked up while both of them were married to somebody else. When you are enticed, Solomon says, stay away. Stay away. You say, okay, Jeff, that sounds like really good advice, but man, why in the world are we talking about this in a series called Think Small? Why in the world are we talking about this in a series where we've been dealing with ant power, right? Ant power is what we've talked about, small things repeated, small things repeated, extraordinary outcomes in your life as a result of some consistent daily action. Well, here's the point today. Here's why we're talking about this today. It takes ant power to build a healthy life, but it doesn't require ant power to destroy one. That's why we're talking about it. It requires ant power to build a healthy life, but it does not require ant power to destroy one. It it takes years to build a reputation. It does not require years to destroy one. It takes years to build a healthy marriage, but it doesn't require years to destroy one. So, talk about awkward conversation. Here we are. And here's what I want to make sure that you know. It's the wrestling part in my heart today. I know that talking about this today affects some of you from the standpoint of a past. I know that. You, you, you may have a story that is or has healed from something like this. And, and so when I, uh, we choose to have a conversation like this, it's sort of the, well, thanks a lot, Jeff, because that, yes, that, that is something that we dealt with in the past and we have healed from that. It, it's sort of like, right, right, you're just kind of pulling the scab off the, off the wound, right? For, I don't know how to come up with a grosser analogy than that. It's just, that's, it's this picture of why we don't want to go there again. And I, and I get that. And it's, it's the part where sometimes I, I don't even want to talk about this. I'm promising you I am for you, but I am also for everyone else who is quickly approaching such action. So we got to talk about it. Some of you know what it's like to deal with this issue of unfaithfulness. Some of you have dealt with it in, in, uh, with a spouse. Some of you have dealt with it with your parents. You, you, you grew up as kids. You, you, you saw this happen. Some of you are in the feeling alive stage. Like a while ago, when I said, he makes you feel most alive, and you went, oh, that's, that's me. Now, now, there's nothing physical going on yet, Jeff. There's nothing, nothing physical happening yet, but, but I, I will admit to you, it's good. And what you're thinking right now is that, okay, so that means, Jeff, you're going to talk to us today about creating distance with somebody like that, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I want us to have the best awkward conversation that we can possibly have. The best awkward conversation that we can possibly have. And so to do that, 
I'm not going to read all the scripture. Um, some of you have heard this a gazillion times in terms of David's story with Bathsheba. Some of you need to read it this week for the first time. Um, but I'm going to read the first part of it from 2 Samuel chapter 11, and then we're just going to kind of give you a quick, a quick picture of how this unfolds. There are some stages for Solomon's parents that they walk through. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David, at this point in his life, is uh, what we would probably call middle-aged. Um, David's kingdom is established. His palace is built. Uh, although he's still sending army to fight, most of the major wars are done. And he's home. They live in a walled city, which means most of the fields are outside the walls, and inside the walls is just stacked with houses. And especially when you live on a, on a hillside, your front yard is somebody else's roof. It's just the way those cities would be built. And so the story is one night as David, who's home and not out to war, can't sleep, and he's walking, and he sees Bathsheba, and the question is, who is she? And the answer is, she's the wife, wife, did you hear me, David? She's the wife of Uriah, one of your most trusted warriors, all right? I would submit to you there's probably a reason that Uriah lives close to David is because he's a, he's a trusted warrior. These are the kind of neighbors that, that you want to have, right? There, there is protection in all this, but Uriah is off to war. And so David says, send her on up. And we want to go stop, stop. David, are you just bored, right? Are, 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 you, are you just bored? And thus, I would submit to you a, a stage one in this story it is a disengaged stroll. A disengaged stroll, David strolling around on the palace uh, top, and he, and he oversees. I, I want to challenge you today to recognize there is power in living for a mission. There is power in living on mission to never lose sight of the mission to which you are called. And when we are Jesus followers, I don't know of any greater mission on the planet where we get, to, we get to deal in stuff that is eternal. This is about heaven and hell. This is about the greatest news in the world that changes people's lives. To, to live on mission will, will sometimes keep you from a disengaged stroll where you are simply bored because the mission that Jesus calls us to is usually not boring. It's usually quite radical. And yet along with that, 
My challenge to you today is live on mission, but also learn to master the mundane. You got to learn to master the mundane. Because listen to me, any long-term relationship eventually settles into some sort of routine, doesn't it? It does. Any long-term relationship, eventually there's routine. I get it. When, when the wedding's coming along and everything's so exciting and all the, the decisions that need to be made and people everywhere, right? And, and, then, and then you get married and it's, it's not that there aren't exciting moments, but it's like there is a routine that starts to develop. And if you're going to survive, you got to go to work. And then you come home and you're tired. And it's like the dishwasher's leaking again. And who's going to take the dog to the vet this time? There's just a routine, that starts to happen. And if you start to get bored, then somebody comes up with the idea, well, let's have kids. <laughs> well, that'll make it more interesting. But it'll also bring with it more what? Routine. More routine. They, they need even more routine in dinner and bath and bed and dinner and bath. And it's just the sameness. Even when you are on the mission that God has called you to, there is an aspect of this where, where you got to please master the mundane. Yes, you can be intentional about creating interesting things that you can do together, but it's also faithfulness. It's showing up again and again, and even faithfulness in going to work and paying the bills and maintaining the house David's journey starts with this disengaged stroll. But it's about to move to part two. His life's about to get really interesting, and I don't mean the kind of interesting that you want, because part two is about unexpected consequences. Unexpected consequences. I mean, this is, this is just a fling. Until the news, Bathsheba's pregnant. She's, she's what? Bathsheba's pregnant. And David, her husband, is away to war. And I realize this is a long time ago, but these people can count to nine. He's like, we'll fix that. We'll fix that. Just bring Uriah home. Bring Uriah home right now. Right? You bring him home. So sure enough, they bring Uriah home. What's the plan? Hey, David says, Uriah, tell me how things are going on the battlefront. I just wanted to hear. Give me a report. How are things going? Okay, good to hear the report. Now, I want you to go home, and I want you to enjoy. And I'm saying I want you to enjoy everything, Uriah. I want you to go home and enjoy everything, and then we'll send you back to the battlefront. Only problem is Uriah doesn't go home and enjoy everything, Uriah ends up sleeping right outside David. We would kind of say, I'm going to say David's porch. He sleeps on David's porch. And when David finds out, he's like, why did you do that? And Uriah's like, well, how, how, could, I, how could I go home and, and enjoy even being with my wife when, my, when all of my brothers are out there on the battlefield, they're sleeping on the ground, they're in the middle of a battle. How could I do that? Hmm. Plan B. David says, let's throw a party. <clears throat> let's throw a party. And let's make sure at this party we got plenty to drink. And let's make sure that that plenty of drink gets to Uriah. Now that part of the plan was accomplished. 
The hope was that Uriah would get drunk, and then they could get Uriah home, and then Uriah, Uriah would enjoy everything, and, the, and it would all be covered. The only problem is Uriah sleeps on David's porch again. And in an amazing way, Uriah has more dignity when drunk than David did when he was sober. Plan C. Plan C involves Uriah actually carrying his own death sentence back with him to the front line because the instruction that he was given to, to give to, to Joab, the, 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 the leader of the, of the army, was, look, you, you are to send Uriah and, and, and some men to the strongest part of the battle, and then as they engage the fight, then the rest of the army is to retreat and leave them to die. Which, let me just inject a little bit, somebody realize it didn't just cost one. There were other people caught in the cross fire, too. Uriah dies, Bathsheba mourns, and then she moves in with David. So here's my reminder to you today, best awkward conversation ever. You can choose your behavior, but you don't get to choose the fallout. You can choose your behavior, but you don't get to choose the fallout. David could choose a night with Bathsheba, but what he could not choose is he, he couldn't choose whether or not there was a pregnancy. He could not choose even Uriah's noble response. He, he could not choose that. He couldn't control it. You, you, can, you can choose to stop, get a few drinks on the way home, but you didn't choose to get pulled over. Right? You, you, you choose to maybe take a little more than you were supposed to from your work, but what you didn't choose was that when that's found out and it tracks you for the rest of your life every time you're trying to get a new job. So you can choose the relationship that's inappropriate, but when you decide that the relationship needs to be over, what you cannot control is the person you're in that relationship with saying, really, you want it to be over? Well, I'll just email your wife. Let her know. And what you don't get to choose is whether or not your wife is willing to go to counseling with you to heal. Or if she's going to say, no, locks, locks change and lawyers up. What you don't get to choose is, is whether or not which of your kids are going to talk to you in the future. But the greatest consequence for David was the fact that David deals with a spiritual barrenness over the coming months that is unlike anything he's ever known in his life. When you think about this story, you, you should always remember two psalms, right? You have the psalms in your Bible. When you open your Bible to the middle, you get this gigantic list of, of, of psalms. They're actually songs. These are songs that were written and sung. And there's two of them that we believe were, were written during this season of David's life. They are Psalm 32 and they are Psalm 51. 32 and 51. You can read them in, in the context of what we're talking about today. And in Psalm 32, verse 
3, this is, this is what it says, Psalm 32, verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. David, who has walked with God for so much of his life, there's now distance. There's now distance. There's an emptiness. It's like walking through the desert with the summer heat and there's no protection. He's just drained. And then comes the day that the prophet of God named Nathan confronts King David about his sin. Now, Nathan does it in a creative way. You should, you should read it. The way he sets it up tells a story. But what's interesting to me is when it gets down to the end of it, David doesn't run. David says, I have sinned. It's the moment of confrontation, and it's the moment that he admits what he has done. And thus begins part three of this story, which is the road home. Now, when I speak of the road home, the road home, I mean is David begins to see some tracks back toward God. This is, this is what it says in Psalm 32, verse 5. Verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave. You forgave the guilt of my sin. What is the turning point of David's story? What is the turning point in David's life after this occurs with Bathsheba? What is the turning point? And this would be my answer. The cross is the turning point for David. Who, what, what cross? Jesus' cross. You're like, wait, wait has, has that happened yet? No, it hasn't. It hasn't happened yet. It won't happen for another thousand years or so. Jesus will be born in Bethlehem another thousand years. He, he, will, he will come for the mission that he came to, to die on that cross for the sin of the whole world. And just like the truth is that today he died 2,000 years ago in the covering of our sin, he would die a thousand years from this point for David, but it would still be for the covering of David's sin, a God who loves us so much that he would sacrifice himself. This is the central piece. This is the message of Christianity, a God who would be our substitute, Jesus who would take our place. He was sinless. He was sinless. He never did anything wrong. And yet at the cross, it was as though, sometimes I don't think we understand this piece, it was as though as Jesus hung on a cross, Jesus was the one who did what David did with Bathsheba. All that guilt, all that pain, it was as though all of that was placed upon Jesus and it was just like he did it. 
Sometimes I think we, we kind of disengage all that and we, and we don't fully understand the weight of what Jesus bore in that moment, but he did. And it's not just the fact that he erases the sin, it's the fact that he paid it in full. And that God sees us forgiven. When we repent, when we turn our lives toward him, trusting that it is only by his grace, not deserved by us, he really will forgive. And he says when he sees us, it's as though Jesus is standing in the way. He sees the righteousness of his son. That's real. That's real. There's a road home. God forgives. And yet what we're talking about today is there are still there are still though consequences of the other relationships that exist that aren't all fixed yet. They're not. I want you to see a little something. There's a, a movie a number of years ago. George Clooney was in this movie. Um, it was called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I think it's a, it's a little story of these three uh, conflict, convicts. They're on, the, they're on the run, and there's this particular point in the movie where they're in the woods, and they're, they're hiding out, and I think they're even getting a little fixing up something to eat, you know, on the, on the fire, and this weird thing happens where they suddenly experience this group of people moving toward the river that they are sort of camped out beside, and this is what happens. Take a look. Well, I guess hard times flush the chump. Everybody's looking for answers. Been saved. Well, that's it, boys. I've been redeemed. The preacher done washed away all my sins and transgressions. It's a straight and narrow from here on out, and heaven everlasting's my reward. Delver, what are you talking about? We got bigger fish to fry. The preacher said all my sins is washed away, including that piggly wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo. I thought you said you was innocent of those charges. Well, I was lying. And the preacher said that that sin's been washed away, too. Neither God nor man's got nothing on me now. Come on in, boys. The water is fine. Some of you are familiar with the movie, and you know we did a little creative editing to, uh, to bring it to you as, as uh, clean as we could, but it cracks me up. Delmar's been saved. And Delmar's convinced he's forgiven of everything. The preacher washed the sins away. And there's this conversation that happens in the vehicle right after this. And Delmar's still on this, and he's still trying to convince everybody that he's forgiven. And it, it's done, that, that it, it's all clean. And George Clooney's character responds to him with this statement. 
even if it did put you square with the Lord, the state of Mississippi is a little more hard-nosed. And that's what we're talking about. Yes, it is true, the most difficult part, the most impossible part, the part that you and I have no shot at fixing, God has chosen by his grace to make available to us that we could be forgiven by him. I mean, that's the part you and I got no shot at with, without. If he doesn't, in his grace, pour out his own life, what is impossible for us, we can now have peace with God. But the truth of the matter is, even when there is peace with God, there is still some collateral damage with the state of Mississippi or your spouse or you fill in the blank. And so... This dad wraps up a conversation with his daughter. Best awkward conversation we've ever had. He said, I just want you to grasp. Just hear me on these three things. Healthy relationships. you got to have healthy relationships. And you know what that means for us. We, we are a part of a Jesus community, and for us, that means you've got to have a life team of people who will walk life out with you and that you will walk life out with them. Pick some Jesus followers and let them in. Pick some Jesus followers and give, give them access. He says, babe, you, you have got to trust in some healthy relationships. Now, I, I want to remind you, um, if you're married, there are emotional needs that are to be fulfilled by your spouse that should not be fulfilled by anybody else. I'm going to say it again. If you are married... There are emotional needs that should be filled by your spouse that should not be filled by any other person, especially anybody else of the opposite sex. And so if, that's, if, if you are married and that's not happening and your response to me would be, well, that's the problem because my, my spouse is not, well then, well, then let's fight for such. Let's go after that. You say, well, I've, I've, I've tried. I, I've, I've said this. Well, let's say it again. Let, let, let's say it again. Let's, let's keep saying it, and let's keep praying it, and let's realize that we are not going to have success in these relationships if we attempt to do that outside of the design that God has put there. There are emotional needs that your spouse is supposed to fulfill that nobody else is to fulfill. And so, if you're pouring out your soul to an opposite sex friend in particular, I'm talking about today, and whether that's on Facebook, uh, whether that's face-to-face, -face, not only are you setting you up, but you're setting them up for disaster. And I know, because I've had this conversation um, uh, too many times, I know you've prayed about it, I know they said it's okay, listen to me, 
it's not okay. I know you've prayed about it, and I know they said it's okay. It's not okay. And it doesn't matter the circumstances. Listen, you can be in ministry. Some, in my particular life, right, so this is the world I walk in, so the, the most disastrous pictures of this that I have seen over my lifetime have come out of the context of people doing ministry. He says, babe, you have got to have healthy relationships. You have got to have healthy friendships. You have got to let some people in. Second thing, emotional hunger. Emotional hunger. When you are pouring your life out, when you are serving other people, there is, a, there is a draining aspect to that that really can happen in certain seasons. There is a vulnerability there. Look, when you're taking care of everybody, it is really easy to come to this place to go, and who's going to take care of me? And you just get to the point where you stop caring. And I'm telling you, this, these things don't typically start out in hotel rooms. They start out with emotional hunger, emptiness. You've got to have healthy friendships. You've got to. The last thing, it's the thing you knew I was going to tell you. It's about creating distance. It's about creating distance, and this applies to everybody. I'm telling you, you may say, well, I've never been in this situation. Then you better listen to what I'm about to say. Just because you've never been in this circumstance doesn't need, you don't, you don't need to hear about creating distance. Because you can do absolutely everything perfectly and suddenly find yourself in a moment where suddenly there's this person and they, they, they kind of make you feel alive. Like, you're not married to them. You're already married. But here's this relationship. I'm telling you, it can happen where you're walking this out. You're trying to stay faithful to God. You do those things that are as healthy as possible. And there can suddenly be these moments where, like in the case of Joseph in the Bible, you have to know how to run. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I am honored to tell you that I have known some people throughout the years, and in my particular case, it was guys that I was closest to in this, in this case, but I have known some guys, and I'm sure this, there's probably in this room some ladies could tell you the story. I have known of guys who have quit their jobs and started new ones because of this very issue. They said, I've got to run from this, and I'm not going to risk it, and even my career is not worth it. See, that's the kind of dude I want sitting in my life team. That's the kind of dude I want to let to, on the inside. Somebody who understands that kind of fight and understands how drastic sometimes you, you really do have to be. You, if you're not careful, you, you will, there will be this spark that happens and all of a sudden you find yourself navigating traffic patterns so that everybody can be in the break room at the same time. No. And if you're in it, you got to create the distance. All the stuff's got to come off the phone. You go nowhere near them physically. You got to create distance and keep 
the distance. What did Solomon say? Do not go near the door of her house. Do not go near the door. (laughs) And the dad looks at his daughter, and she said, is that it? You've had this conversation, right? Is that it, Dad? Yep, that's it. But what he knows is he loves his daughter. And what he knows is she heard, hopefully not just his words, but his heart that day. And it's worth it for him because he knows it takes a long time to build a healthy life but it doesn't take long to destroy one. So, maybe you're here today and um, some of you find yourself in such a circumstance. There is a place for you right now that you're getting a little too close, a little too much delight in attention where it shouldn't be. Um, I, I I would employ you to see the grace of God here today that he would put you here And we would talk about such a thing on this day that even though it's crazy awkward and it's really uncomfortable, it's God screaming, I love you. Come on home. I love you. Come on home. Some of you may need to go to your spouse. You may need to talk about what's going on. You may need to ask for their help. You, you may need some help from other people around you. I know that that is painful, but I'm telling you it is not as painful as the consequences of not doing anything about it. God, listen to me, God is better than sin. God is better than sin. It's just sometimes it doesn't feel that way for, for some of us. Um, when we have approached God the very same way we tend to approach other people when really we have God along for what we need and we try to use him more than we really get to know him and love him. But I'm telling you, he's better than sin. And he's saying, come home. Start here. If that's how you've sort of approached God along the way, you you simply have him there for what you need him for, and you ready for this? This is where you start. He loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. He died for you anyway. Come on, let that settle in. He died for you anyway. And he will forgive you anyway. When there is a true repentance, a heart that turns back to him, saying, God, this is my sin. And just like David did, God, I call out to you and I ask. Our God is faithful every time. He is present every time. He acts for your good every time. It's time for some of you to start the road home. He is waiting.
In just a second, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing really just one song together that reminds us that without Jesus, man, this nor anything else is possible for us. But with Jesus, it is. It's it's in Christ. It is in him. I, I implore you to sing it with all your heart. There may be that you need prayer today, and I realize this is really goofy, because like when we talk about something like this, and then we say, hey, come for prayer. There are long lines, typically, on a day like today. They were like, I ain't going, really? I, I ain't going. I just wanted to go pray for my grandma, but I, I ain't going today, because... And I want you to think about this. If every week... Listen to me, if every week we were all a little more um, apt to pray for grandmas and just struggles at work, people that we want to meet Jesus, if we all every week we came together were a little more active in praying with people, even coming for prayer, it would make it a whole lot easier on days like today for people who really need to come home they could come home. Just something to think about. As we sing, we will be available over here, but we're also available past today. And so it may be that you need to fill out the response sheet today, turn it in, we'll talk to you this week. Maybe you give us a call a little later on, we'd be glad to talk to you at any point. I'll pray. We'll sing. God, I thank you for being a daddy who's willing to have the best awkward conversations with your kids because you love us like crazy. And you want our heart to be owned by no other than you. God, you want us to know what love that is faithful. God, what that feels like, what that lives like. God, I thank you for loving us enough. I thank you for, God, a a story that, that, that honestly is most tragic, you still chose to record it in your word that we might know no one is too big, no one is too powerful, nobody is exempt from this struggle. God, we acknowledge today that without you, we got, we got no shot at this. But it's in Christ. That's where we find our hope. So today we bow before you. God, I pray for healing. I pray for hope. In the name of Jesus, amen.